Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. I want to say a big welcome to those of you who are joining us online uh, or on TV. Thank you so much for being with us. Those of you who call Bible Center Church your home, those of you who are here today, thank you for being with us. If you're new to Bible Center, again, as has already been said, we'd love to help you connect, uh, most importantly, to connect to Jesus. Uh, But I'm Matt, I'm the lead pastor, and I'll be out uh, underneath the awning after the service. I would love to meet you and welcome you here. Let me invite you to take your Bible or your Bible app and open with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8. We're going to do an overview of the entire chapter, and so if you're a note taker, uh, you're going to want to have your phone ready or your pen ready, whatever is easiest for you. Uh, But I want to begin today by giving you the title of the sermon so you can know where we're going, and then I'll explain why. The title of today's message is Finding Comfort and Courage in the Holy Spirit. Finding comfort and courage in the Holy Spirit. I want to let you know that the sermon you're about to hear is not the message that I had originally planned to preach today. Uh, Some of you know that I actually prepare my messages about three weeks in advance. Usually, I believe the Holy Spirit can speak three weeks in advance, just like He can speak uh, in the last minute. Uh, But this particular message is not that message. Now, I want to go ahead and let you know that the message I was going to preach was going to be the best message you've ever heard in your life. The absolute best message. Um, No, if you know me, you know I'm kidding. But uh, I want to tell you a little bit of the story. But I'm still going to stay in the framework of the Holy Spirit. We're rolling out our member statement of faith. And so far, we've uh, covered the doctrine of the Bible, the doctrine of God the Father, the doctrine of the Son, and this morning, the doctrine of the Spirit. Um, but I'm going to, going to really key in on one or two attributes of the Spirit uh, that I believe He would have me teach and preach today. Uh, here's how it happened. Last week, Sarah and I went away to celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary. We got away for seven days without children uh, those of you, I can see a lot of nods around here. That sounds like heaven, and it really was a wonderful time. For our 10th anniversary, we were able to get away for about four days, but seven days with, without kids. I brought a whole stack of books that I'd planned to read uh, during that week. I got one of them read, one of the smaller books read, but we had a, so much fun, a lot of walks, a lot of time together, a lot of time remembering the past and, and dreaming about the future together. It really was a great time. But I didn't take my computer and I didn't take my phone, uh, which is rare. Uh, but, of course, the, uh, the staff and the family and our elders knew how to get a hold of me through Sarah if they needed anything. But So for seven days, I, I was really kind of out of touch with what all was going on. And uh, no one called, uh, thankfully. But then on Monday, I opened up my phone and to get all my text messages. And I was, I was devastated to hear the news of a, a day or two before that one of our former elders uh, had passed away. This is a gentleman that had been in our church for a long, long time. This is someone who was on the board of elders when I became lead pastor here five years ago. Uh, it's someone that had been at our house a number of times We never asked him to do anything, but he came and would do some work in our backyard and work on our deck. Uh, Our kids always thought of him as just a kind, elderly man, uh, just someone who represented Jesus in so many ways in his life. And so I was devastated to hear the news that that he was no longer with us. 
uh, unexpectedly. And so for Monday, all of Monday, I was settling back into staff meetings and settling back into the office, but it just really weighed heavily on my heart. And then Tuesday, it just didn't go away. It's like a cloud that just kind of hovers. It continued to weigh heavily on my heart on Tuesday and then right on into Wednesday, so much so that, that by Wednesday, I, I decided to take a drive just to clear my head and, and figure out, kind of process some things and pray through some things. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been there. You've been at that place where you feel like food doesn't taste good any longer. You, you feel fatigue. You feel the aching, not in your chest, but way down in your stomach. The whole world seems to slow down and go to monochrome. That's where I was at this week. And there are some in our church who are so much closer to this gentleman than I was, but I just couldn't shake it. And so as I'm driving around, the Holy Spirit laid a particular person on my heart to call. Some of you who've walked with Jesus for a long time, you know what that feels like. And later, this particular guy, he's not on our staff, he's somebody that I talk to, not frequently, but, but we do talk uh, once a month or a couple of times a month at length. And, and so uh, instead of calling him, I argued myself out of doing what the Holy Spirit prompted me to do. And so I'm like, well, I can't call him and tell him that I'm really having a hard time. I'm I'm a pastor, and I don't want him to think ill of me, and he's in our congregation, and you know, pastors, we've got to have it all together. And so I didn't call. Ten minutes later, my phone rang, and I looked down at my phone, and it was this gentleman. And I can't tell you the last time he called me, just out of the blue, and I answered the phone, and he said, how are you doing? What do you think I said? I said, I'm doing great. How are you doing? And he, we started talking for a minute, and I said, I, mean, I can't lie to you. I am not doing well at all. And the Spirit told me 10 minutes ago to call you, and he said, you know, I couldn't get you off my heart, and I just wanted to call to see how you were doing. And he prayed with me, and we prayed for this family, and we prayed for our church together. And, and uh, through that experience, the, the Lord just had continued to, to, to work in my heart this text of Romans 8. I couldn't get away from it. And so Wednesday night, I'm, I'll go home and I'm meditating on Romans 8 and I'm meditating on some things this guy said. And I get out my, my journal and I start writing a new sermon. And so that's what I want to share with you today. It's about the Holy Spirit. But instead of doing an overview on the Spirit, I want to preach on finding comfort and courage in the Holy Spirit. My main point today is simply this. The Holy Spirit prays for me 24 hours a day. If you're taking notes, you can write that down or remember that for yourself. I'll put that in the first person so that this week you can remind yourself the Holy Spirit prays for me 24 hours a day. No doubt you've had people pray for you, moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, uncles and aunts. I pray for my children, but there's none of us that pray for someone 24 hours a day, nor have we been prayed for 24 hours a day by someone in our lives. But thankfully, the text we're about to see, I believe, teaches that the Holy Spirit prays for me 24 hours a day. Let's dive into that text together. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you struggle with shame, if you struggle with guilt, I would encourage you, if you get nothing else out of this message, to remember Romans 8.1. Put it on your fridge. Put it on your phone. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. That's the beauty of the gospel. Not, there's nothing else. 
But he says, because, or as evidence for, through Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. He continues in verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God, by sending his own Son. We'll stop there for a second. The neat thing about the, the, the gift of the Son is that we serve an eternal Son. Jesus didn't come into existence 2,000 years ago, but Isaiah says he's the eternal Son of God. Jesus simply robed himself in flesh and became the God-man 2,000 years ago. But God sent his Son from heaven to earth, John 3.16, in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. It doesn't mean that Jesus sinned, but that Jesus had the same flesh and blood that you and I have. As Pastor Mike said so well last week, Jesus can sympathize with us because he is us. Jesus became human, fully God, yet fully man. He knows what our temptations are, but thankfully he was without sin. Verse 5, and so he condemned sin in the flesh. This is actually verse four, into verse 3. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, if you're taking notes, you can make a line from verse 3, the word condemned, back to verse 1, because it says we are not condemned because Jesus was condemned. Substitution, we see it in verse 3. Now, at the end of verse 4, he says, who live not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In this passage, Paul's not going to get really specific about what that is. Uh, but in other places in the New Testament, he does get very specific. And he tells us that, that if we live after the flesh, that it looks something like this. Galatians 5.19 The acts of the flesh are these. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Those are the works of the flesh. But the works of the Spirit we see in Galatians 5.22. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And then Paul continues in verse 5. He says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Now, in other places in the New Testament, we learn that we as Christians can still give in to our flesh, even after we're Christians. We learn that even though we have Jesus in our lives and in our hearts, that doesn't exempt us from the temptations to do what the flesh wants us to do. But in this particular context, he is not, he's not talking about that. He's talking about now saved and unsaved. Those who've put their faith in Christ and those who have not yet put their faith in Christ. And he says, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit, those who are Christians, have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. But those who are in the realm of the flesh, those who are unbelievers, cannot please God. If you're here today 
If you're watching on TV today and you've never yet put your faith in Christ, there is no good work that you can do to earn your way to heaven. There's nothing you can do. The prophet Isaiah said thousands of years ago that all of our righteous attempts are like filthy rags. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God is so holy, God is so perfect, that there's nothing we can do to ever even come close to erasing our sin. You say, well, Matt, I've not done too many sins. I've only done a few in my lifetime. Well, then you're certainly better than me. But James 2.10 says this, If we keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, we are guilty of all. So there is nothing you can do in yourself. No church membership, no giving to charity, no good works, no church member. There's nothing that can earn your way to heaven. You say, well, what's our hope? Well, Paul continues in verse 9. He says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. This is Paul's way of saying that you must be born again. He's saying the same thing Jesus said in John 3, that we need the Spirit of God through faith in Christ to give us new life. We don't need to turn over a new leaf. We need a new leaf altogether. And only Christ can give you that. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. And if you call on the name of the Lord, you commit your life to Christ. He says, he who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. At that moment that you put your faith in Christ, you become a follower of Jesus. If you're watching online, let me encourage you just to click that button that says follow Jesus. Our online pastor, Pastor Matt Garrison, would love to follow up with you. We'd love to help connect you with the Christian life and grow in Christ. But Christian, verse 9 teaches us something very important. Let's go back to verse 9 about the Spirit of God. He says, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. There's a teaching here in Appalachia. Because I'm from here, it gives me a little more confidence to, to speak into the culture. There's a teaching here that says... That you might get the Spirit of God on one day, but you might not get the Spirit, or excuse me, you might get saved on one day, but you might not get the Spirit of God till another day. In other words, you might get Jesus on Monday, but you might not receive the Holy Spirit until Friday. And this teaching in churches that teach this would say something like this believe in Jesus, and then they would encourage you to pursue the second blessing. That you need to pray through, pray hard, they would say, so that then, sometime later, you could get the Holy Spirit. You say, well, what does the Bible say about that? Well, verse 9 clearly contradicts that. It says, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you do not belong to whom? Christ. So the day you get all of Jesus is the day you get all of the Spirit. That's good news. But then he says in verse 10, But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit 
who lives in you. The end of verse 11 is the difference between Christianity and all other world religions. We're a religion, we're a faith of resurrection. It's not just about what you receive in the Spirit, but that the Spirit is actually going to resurrect your body one day to everlasting life, to give you a new, give you a new body and a new heaven and a new earth. So on Friday, when we had the funeral for our friend, longtime church member, and you see that casket go into the ground, that's not the end of our hope. You see, God says resurrection is coming. Let me encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 15 this week as it tells us that really that is our hope. One day God's going to give us new fingers and new toes and new arms and new legs to live on a new earth and a new creation. That's the beauty of resurrection. You say, well, Matt, what do we do now? If that's the future, what do we do now with all this suffering in the world? I know one day God's going to take all the suffering away, but what are we to think of the suffering now? Some of you right now are walking through it. That's where we get to verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. In other words, when we've, one day when Jesus returns and we receive new bodies... All of creation knows that at that day, that is the day that then all of the universe is made new. Paul continues, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. That's God, who sent the curse to the earth because of Adam and Eve's sin. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Now, if there's ever a time that I feel inadequate to teach something from God's Word, it's mentioning anything about childbirth. Right? I was there for the birth of our daughters. My wife was obviously there for the birth of our daughters. And I know nothing about what many of you in this room know about the chain, pains of childbirth. I think about my, one of my college professors who told the story that he had taken all the Lamaze classes as a, a new dad and wanted to really be there for his wife and be ready to shovel those ice chips. It never goes like they tell you it's going to go. And, and be ready to, to hold her hand and do everything that she needs done. And, and so he was all ready. And man, it lasted a lot longer than he expected. And so finally, after she gave birth to their first child, he was exhausted. And he sat down in the chair and he said, he goes, that, that was exhausting. She looked at him and said, if I had a gun, I would shoot you. <laughs> the pain of childbirth. That's the pain that this creation is experiencing even as we speak. Now, if you underline in your Bible, and want to underline this idea of groanings or take notes of groanings. There's three occasions where he's going to talk about groanings, and it's going to be really important because it gets back to our main point. But notice verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan, there it is again, second time, inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sonship, the redemption of our bodies, that's our resurrection. Verse 24, 
For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently in the same way. Here we go. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Continues in verse 26. For we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself, not itself, himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. There's our word groans again for the third time. In this passage, we have God praying to God. We have God the Spirit praying to God the Father through the person of God the Son. You say, how is that even possible? Well, a few weeks ago, we talked about the Trinity. You can go back and listen to that message. But here's the beauty of it. In this one passage, we have evidence that the Holy Spirit prays for us continually. He says he intercedes for us. It's in the present tense, which means it continues to happen and continues to happen and continues to happen, and continues to happen. And from that we infer the Spirit prays for us 24 hours a day. Now the idea of groans is interesting. I used to think that this passage meant that somehow that God was groaning in some language that we didn't fully comprehend. But as I studied the text this week, I've discovered that in context, in both in the, in the grammar, specifically the groans are not God's, the groans are ours. And that what he's trying to say is that God takes our groans and he takes our prayers and he takes our mumbling and he takes our tears and he takes our, whatever, our pain and translates that into prayers to God the Father on a continual basis, praying in clarity in ways that you and I cannot even pray for ourselves. What a beautiful truth. The Holy Spirit prays for me 24 hours a day. You say, why does the Holy Spirit need to pray for me? Why does the Holy Spirit need to pray for you? Well, he gives several reasons in the text. First of all, because I'm weak. First of all, because I'm weak. The Spirit knows how weak we are. Have you ever been so weak that you, you just couldn't even pray? I mean, you wanted to pray, but you just, you just couldn't. Listen to what he says in verse 26. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. He intercedes through us by our, literally, wordless groans. He takes our groans to the Father. We're weak. Think about all the weakness that this pandemic has revealed in all of us. This pandemic has revealed our fear, our illusion of control, our health choices, our financial planning, our retirement planning, our food planning, our toilet paper planning, our anxiety, our depression, our addiction. If you're watching this online, I want to encourage you there in the comments section to even list some other areas, some other ways that this pandemic has revealed the weaknesses in your life and in your heart. We are a weak people. That's the beauty of Christ. 
Christ through the Spirit calls weak people to himself. Every day at work, every day in the world, the world accepts you by how strong you are. But, but see, Christ calls us in our weakness. He doesn't say, strengthen yourself and then come to me. But he says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the Spirit is the same way. The Spirit prays for us because we're weak. Number two, the Spirit prays for us because I lack wisdom. Remind yourself, the Spirit prays for me because I lack wisdom. It's right here in the text, verse 26. He says, we do not know what we ought to pray for. Now, I will ask you for a raise of hands. How many of you have ever been in a situation in life where it was so confusing, you weren't even sure how to pray? Has anybody been there? Yes, most of us have. Like, I'm not even sure. I'm sick. Should I pray for healing or should I pray for strength and endurance and patience? There's some guys in our discipleship group this week. We were talking about different things to pray for. Should I take this contract at work or should I not take this contract at work? One of the guys was mentioning, should I take this job or not take this job? Uh, For our children, which college should our children attend? Should our children go to college or should they go into the workforce or pursue vocational training? Where should I move? Uh, Who should I hire? What cuts should I make at my company? And the list goes on and on. There's all sorts of things. We don't even know how to pray sometimes. What in your life do you lack wisdom about? Thankfully, the Spirit of God is praying for you right now even about those things. The third reason the Spirit prays for us is because I can't do God's will on my own. I can't do God's will on my own. Verse 27 clearly says, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. We can't even do God's will without the Spirit regularly praying for us. But thankfully, He does. Now, what are the takeaways from today's message? What can we, how can we apply this message to our life practically? How can we, what does God have for us to take away today? Just two things and we're done. Number one, take comfort. Take comfort. If you came today or you're watching today and you feel as though your life is completely upside down, you don't know which way you're going, you feel as though you know you believe in Jesus, you know your faith is in Christ, but there's very little other that you're sure about right now because the world seems like it's in a tailspin. Let me encourage you, take comfort in the Spirit. He is praying for you right now. Notice what the Spirit writes In the same passage, authored by the Holy Spirit, he says, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. Those words were never intended to be the subject of a year-long discussion or argument in a Sunday school class. Those words were intended to be a comfort to you. We don't have to understand them, but we believe them. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, 
Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring anything to the charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Take comfort. You might not know which way you're going when you leave here in a moment, but the Spirit knows, and the Spirit loves, and the Spirit prays. Number two, and lastly, be courageous. Be courageous. In life right now, no doubt, some of you are facing some hardships at work. You're not even sure how you're going to go to work tomorrow. Some of you are facing family problems that seem insurmountable. Physical difficulties, illnesses, challenges, good deeds that you know God is calling you to do. But you're finally to the place where you're not even sure if you can make it another day on your own. Hey, there's good news. You're probably about at the place where the work of God is about to begin. Because that's what Zechariah means when he says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And that same spirit wrote these words to conclude the chapter. He says in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we, are, we face death all the day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor things future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Be courageous. Step out of this church building today by faith. Not in your own strength. Bring your worries, bring your weaknesses Give them to Christ and ask him for his comfort. Ask him for his courage that can only come to you by the Holy Spirit. You say, Matt, how in the world is that possible? How is it possible? This is how it's possible. The Holy Spirit prays for me 24 hours a day. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. You can also join us in person for services on Thursday at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m.